everyone. Welcome to episode 131 of the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Lee, the communications coordinator at High Point Church. And on Sunday, August 4th, our lead pastor, Nick Gibson, didn't get to finish his sermon. So in this episode of the Cutting Room Floor series, you're going to hear from Nick and Nicole Kyle, our worship director, as they wrap up the topic of attaining the whole measure of Christ's fullness. If you haven't listened to it already, you can find it at highpointchurch.org slash sermons. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. This is Nicole and Nick. Hey. And we're here to do a cutting room floor episode. So these are episodes of the podcast that we do specifically when there was either a sermon or a talk or something that usually Nick didn't have enough time or just spent more time in a particular section. And so we want to come back to what had to get left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Ideally cutting room floor is supposed to mean I was a good enough editor that it was never in my sermon outline, but we should still talk about it in this episode. In this case, it was a, oops, I wrote two sermons instead of one. And so now we can do the second half. Also, just a fun fact, before preaching that sermon that Sunday morning, you assured me that (laughs) this would be a simple one that you would get through. Yeah. Sometimes the spirit just moves when you weren't expecting him to. There are a lot of explanations and the spirit moving is the most charitable one. (laughs) Yes. All right. So we're going to start by doing a brief summary of what Nick was able to cover. Also, just a note for you, if you were in second service, you did get to hear some of this, but it will still not as in depth as he would have wanted to cover. So it'll still be useful for you. Yeah. And we're going to come back and do a completely other podcast on like the fivefold ministry or the five graces or the five yes. tool player. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we will. Okay. So you want to walk us through this? Yeah. So essentially what I argued out of this section of Ephesians, which is verses 11 and following, I think in chapter four is that it's fairly common within Christian circles to say, you know, God's supposed to get the glory for everything. We're dependent on him for everything. Everything was made for him, to him, and by him. We're supposed to be really focused and centered on God. And so we're relying on God for everything. And that's one of those statements that's both 100% true and can actually be really misleading. Mm -hmm. Because in this passage, what it really argues is that God has given us everything we need to build ourselves up. And one of the metaphors that the apostle actually uses is he says every part that God has given when it's functioning by its proper function builds itself up. And so one of the things that, so the proposition I tried to offer the congregation is God wants us to build ourselves up. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a humanistic or worldly way of like, well, you know, we just have to do whatever we want or live by our own power. But what he's saying is, the way he's wanted to build all of us up is he gave this group of people he calls the church all the gifts, all the capacities, all the measures of need. 
so that we can we can build each other up. And most of us want a more overtly supernatural process than that. Mm -hmm. So that in the process of being built up, we can be like, oh, God is really there because all these supernatural things are happening. But when God builds things up, he grows them. And in the Bible, most of the metaphors are agricultural. It grows kind of like a plant. Right. It feels completely natural. So what we know by faith is the supernatural work of God changing us looks and feels like the natural work of God growing us with the graces he's given each of us. Right. Yeah. The um, This reminds me a lot of the language that we've used for a couple of years now of gracious striving. Yeah. How in Second Peter, we focused on this, but we saw it in a lot of scripture that there's a participatory nature to our growth and godliness. Yeah. Second Peter talks about how God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And also we participate with him. We are to make yeah. every effort to grow in godliness. Yeah, the reason I like Second Peter is because the apostle, the apostle says all these things about what God has given us. And then he says, so therefore, right, yeah. you make every effort. Mm -hmm. So he explicitly says the effort-based striving and action is ours. Right. And that it makes sense for us to strive so hard because God has given us everything we need. It's kind of like if I said, okay, Nicole, you're going to go on this journey, but here's this bag. In this bag <laughs> is everything that you'll need at every point of your journey. Whenever you meet a crossroad, whenever you find a lock on a door, mm -hmm. everything you'll need is in this bag. It's like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. In some ways. <laughs> yeah, what does he give them? I can't even remember. Uh, he gives one of them like a... Doesn't he give one of them oh, like Oh, Father a, Christmas does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah a not sword the line, but he and gives a them what they bow need, yeah. and a mm -hmm. cordial. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some other fairy tales like this where there's yeah. like, I'm going to give you these four things and you'll need them, right? There's... And it's kind of like that, that like because somebody providential who knows everything you're going to face has given you what he thinks is everything. You need. It's not what you think is everything. You right. Need. Mm -hmm. You think it's woefully insufficient. Right. But he's saying everything you need is in this bag. Right. I've given you everything you need. Yes. Now go on the journey. It's your job to get to the end of the journey. Right. It's a little bit like that. I mean, obviously, spiritually. Or God, God is with us in ways we don't, but it is kind of like that. It's, I, that made me think too of escape rooms. And I know that this is like, these are silly examples, <laughs> but it's true with there too. Like when you are in an escape room, you, you have know. everything you need is in that room. And sometimes it's infuriating to try and figure out how you're supposed to put these together to crack some code. And I don't think following Jesus is like cracking a code. No, not at all. But, but you know, like if yeah. you went to escape room and you failed and at the end you were like, okay, so, and they were like, oh yeah, it was an unsolvable escape room. Yeah. You'd be mad. Yes. You'd be like, I paid for what? Yes. You, cause you have this faith that like, I paid the money. This is a real joke. Like it's a gig. Yeah. And everything is here. Mm -hmm. And so you proceed based on that assumption that if you look, you'll find mm -hmm. that's, that is exactly what Jesus says. Right. He's like, if you seek, you're going to find it. it's there. Mm -hmm. You won't find it if you don't seek. Right. But if you seek, mm -hmm. you'll find. Yeah. And so on one and way. And it's an he, act of trust, both yeah. whether you're in the basement of a weird room trying to get unlocked or in your relationship with Christ and following him, you have, you walk in trust, believing that if you continue to seek, you will find right. what he has provided for you. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that is a promise that is repeated over and over and over again. 
So in this sermon, in the part that you were able to cover was how Jesus's victory was able to give us what we needed. And I think it was the week before that you talked about the similarities of taking plunder um, and that, yeah. but Jesus has provided that he won the victory. And so he has now provided an inheritance that we get yeah. to receive. And you talked about. That's the significance of the apostles quote from Psalm 68 in the old Testament. Right. Where the Jesus is seen as this ascending, conquering hero who has taken captive the captives or released the captives. Mm -hmm. And he has taken this huge amount of plunder and then given it to these captives as gifts. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about part of that that he gave were the leaders to equip the saints. Right. And um, we're going to do a different episode where we dive into those five different roles yeah graces um, ministries gifts mm-hmm. in this passage they're called gifts right the apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers are gifts they're part of the plunder mm-hmm. that jesus is giving to his church so it could build itself up and we'll we'll talk more about those in the other episode but we want to get to um the second half of the sermon and what comes after that so um that again just as a reminder, was how Jesus gave leaders to equip the saints. But then the next part that you talked about from the passage was that Jesus gave his saints the ability to build up the body. And so do you want to talk a little bit about that part? Yeah, so I think it's verse 16 16, is the most complicated verse in this section. And it's also the most like jam-packed right Mm -hmm. and so the reason for that is because it's a summary of at least of all of chapter four if not more it might be a summary of the whole book so if you're looking for a summary of the book of ephesians 416 is a really good one up until this point and so it's translated in the old niv from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, there's a, I mean, there's a whole, there's more in the verse that we're going to talk about right now, but um, I think it's the majority view of biblical scholars would say that from him is meant to say that everything that I'm going to say in the rest of this verse about the body finds its origin, its sustenance, and its cohesion mm-hmm. in the living Christ. So in that sense, everything is from him. Right. Everything is from him, for him, by him, to him, ultimately. Right? Yes. And But then it says, from him, the whole body, joining and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So there's a couple parts. He says, the, so Jesus the Christ in relationship to the whole body, right? And then there's a, parenthetical statement that says um, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. I think it's the majority of biblical scholars, but I think it's the correct view that that reference to joining ligaments is a reference to those five ministries, Mm -hmm. the pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, and apostle that they function kind of like tendons and ligaments and joints where they take all these parts of the body and they connect them together in a certain kind of unity. And that's their work. So from Jesus, through the connecting ministries of these ministries, right? These these 
sub gifts, these leader gifts, you might say, mm-hmm. they then help the whole of the body build itself up, right? So the body builds itself up and it builds itself up in proportion to every single individual part of the body doing its natural function in its natural measure. The word measure is used. And it actually literally says each one. So it's like each and every or each individual part. Mm -hmm. So there's a very strong emphasis on you personally. That in the body of Christ, you, the listener of this podcast, right? (laughs) You have to function according to your nature. That is the gift that God has given you. And in the relationship to the amount of gifting God has given to its measure. And only if you will choose to use the gift, each individual gift in each individual person, according to its full measure, can the body build itself up. And so that's the personal commitment everybody has to make. Right. And that's how it's done. It's not done by Jesus magically making the church bigger, better, or stronger. Right. It looks like a garden growing, not like a, a wizard casting a spell with a big poof of smoke. Right. And I think too, I mean, I think it's worth acknowledging that for me, it's been a couple of years now where that shift has happened in my mind and my thinking Mm -hmm. that I think one of the things you preached during the substance series was maybe Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light because not because he's going to give you a light burden, but because he's going to give you a stronger back. Yeah. And that that's really stuck with me. And I've thought a lot about that. And so it's changed the way that I've prayed. Um, but yeah. I, I do think that it, it's worth saying that there may be moments of like, I've had moments where I'm like, I don't, I don't really know how I'm supposed to pray about the specific thing because I do believe that the power is coming from the spirit and from God and that he's provided what I need. And I also believe I need to participate. And so I, if this is a new way of thinking, I just, I guess I just want to say that's okay. If you're sorting out like your prayer life with that and how to recognize what is God and what is your participation and that. Yeah. Well, that's partly based on two fallacies. One is the spiritualist or mystical fallacy that believers are prone to. And one is based on a secular bigotry that non-believers are prone to. Right. So, The mystical one is, even when you believe in God, you want God to show himself more, right? Mm -hmm. The fundamental problem that every person is struggling with in relationship to God, from our perspective, not from God's perspective, from God's perspective, the biggest problem we all struggle with is a moral problem. Sure. From our perspective, the biggest problem we're struggling with is the hiddenness of God. Right. Why isn't God more obvious? So for the person who's a believer, what they're always looking for is because they've believed mm-hmm. God would respond or support their faith by being more obvious. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so therefore God would act in ways in which nature wouldn't. Right. Right. Because that's the only right. way he could would, he's obvious right. is when nature would do a and B happens. Mm-hmm. And so therefore what people tend to want is what we call miracles, yes. which is literally when nature would do a and B happens. Right. Right. And so they're constantly looking for this, well, so you hear people th- say like, I decided to go to the college A instead of B because I had this thought that I should go to college B when I kind of wanted to go to A and I, that, would, that thought would have never occurred to just me. Right. So it must have been God speaking. Right. right? Now listen, from a psychological perspective, 
like I'm just like, oh, sweetie, no, don't, don't think like that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, on one level, there's no reason that that must be false. I mean, maybe God spoke to them, and maybe that's true, right? But we all have, we all have intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. and those intrusive thoughts often present themselves in the second person, like you should do this, right? right? So, like if you hate yourself, you will hear. The intrusive thought in your mind is like, you should kill yourself or you're worthless sure. or you're terrible. Just because it's in the in the you form instead of the I form doesn't mean it's not from you. Right. <laughs> and then in addition to that, there's all, you, intrusive thoughts come from everywhere. They mm-hmm. come from what you ate last night. They come from how much sleep you got. They come from your self-image. They come from how your dad talked to you when you mm-hmm. were a kid. Like Sometimes they just come from curiosity. Or creativity. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your imagination, right. So like we have lots of intrusive thoughts coming from everywhere, but the natural believer who wants to see God more active wants to ascribe supernaturalism to as much as possible. Right. And we also want to believe that the hidden God has supernaturally revealed what he wants us to do Mm -hmm. because we want to do God's will. But we we also want to alleviate ourselves from the responsibility of our decisions and our actions right Mm -hmm. right we want to know we're right and in the right place and so we want to know god's will we want god to tell us we Mm -hmm. don't want to choose it right and so the idea that like god's will is for you to be a free chooser yeah and for you to choose on the basis of what you want to do right given you're walking with him Mm -hmm. so you walk with god you let him change you and then you do what you want to do that you're gifted to do that can really help others in a completely unsupernatural, I'm making quotes in right. the air now way. So there's this fallacy among believers that is like, I want this thing to be miraculous. Mm-hmm. Right Now there's this fallacy or what I would call a bigotry among non-believers that if a believer thinks something they're doing is spiritual and they call it spiritual without a supernatural affect sure that that person is lying to themselves right i remember having a conversation with a friend of mine in high school specifically yeah. about this where right. he, he and he was an atheist and he knew i was a christian and we were good friends but he was we weren't afraid to talk about these things and he would say to me like nicole you're just selling yourself short by saying that the gifts you have are things god has given you like no that's not from some god that's just you and we would get right. which eight- is that's terrible logic yeah <laughs> So the the alternative is through the luck and chance of biology, these right. are my gifts. Yeah. How is that worse or better than that God gave them to you? You didn't create them. Right. 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 No, no, so I didn't. So what's the difference between being an Whether atheist and a theist? Right. Mm-hmm. In terms of selling yourself short. Right. It's in either way, it's a choice of faith in right. something. Right. The right. only benefit to believing in God in that situation is that you can believe that your lack thereof or presence of gifts was on purpose. Mm. So if you have a lot of gifts, the fact that they came from God could make you humble rather than arrogant. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have a lot of gifts, you could believe you've got everything that you need to do what God wants you to do. Right. Right. So there's a difference in terms of the encouragement or humility, but not and not confidence right you know yeah yeah so you get this deal with like secular people sometimes where if i say yeah i've been praying and meditating on this stuff and i've been talking more with my wife and we've been working through some of our issues and i really know that god is moving in that and they're like well why would you say god is moving in that like there's nothing supernatural in that you're just doing psychology and talking like you should right right well 
we believe it's supernatural by faith because mm-hmm. of God's written word and his revelation of himself in Christ. He has said this is a supernatural event. Right. And so we believe it is. And so we're not lying to ourselves. We're mm-hmm. taking the word of somebody whose word is very trustworthy. Right. That something we can't perceive mm-hmm. scientifically, so to speak, is in fact happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that every mature Christian has to get over both of those fallacies. Right. The spiritualistic, mystical fallacy when it's misplaced and the sort of naturalistic, because sometimes people feel like when they ascribe God to things, they hear that secular voice in the back of their mind. They're like, oh, you're just kidding yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And you got to get over yeah, that one too. Yeah, there too. Yeah. You don't want to be the like, the mystical like, oh, it's God. Oh, like when that's not how God is really revealing himself. Right. And therefore you're abdicating your responsibility and what God is actually doing in your life. Because right. sometimes when people do that mystical thing, they think they're being more spiritual, but they're really being incredibly unspiritual. Hmm. And it's hard for a Christian to get in their head, wait, I'm really seeking God and I'm really wanting God to move and I'm really wanting God to speak to me. How can that be unspiritual? Right. And the answer is, well, when he told you to grow in a different way. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you don't do what he said, that's unspiritual. <laughs> right, right. But that's the case, right? right? What God wants you to do mostly to to grow is to believe him and obey him right not hear from him right and so in connection to what you preached about this is one of the another one of those areas where because you talked about how there were these three areas of ability in the metaphor of the body that it's all from jesus and then we have the leaders who are those ligaments and then we have the whole of the church, which is every piece. And so we do believe that it's all from Jesus, but we also believe we have our part in it. Yes. And if you follow the metaphor of the focus, so the focus of Ephesians 4 is unity and maturity. And if you think about that in relationship to the connecting ligaments, they unify the body and that they hold it together. Right. 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 And then they allow and help every part of the body to do what it should do. Your muscle can't do anything without the ligament that attaches it to your bone. Right. Your your lower leg bone can't do anything without the joint that links it to the upper leg bone, right? Mm-hmm. The humerus. And so similarly, the prophet, pre, the prophet, evangelist, apostle, pastor, teacher serve as the, this unifying and maturing thing for the body as the body builds itself up. Now, let me just hasten to add, because I know we have like people who are more mystical and more charismatic in our church yeah. and that listen to the podcast. I am not saying God does not speak to people in their hearts. Right. Mm-hmm. I totally believe that God speaks to people in their hearts. I believe he speaks to me in my heart. Yeah. But what I believe is, is the Bible nowhere teaches that you must hear God's voice in your heart, that that is fundamental to following Jesus. Or that it is a sign of your maturity and or holiness. Or that it's a sign of your maturity, right? Mm-hmm. Or that every time somebody says God spoke to them, that was God speaking to them. Right. Right. I think... It's what, just more nuanced and complicated than a blanket way of looking at it. Yeah. And I actually think that there are some people who mature in Christ and they struggle with the fact that they think that they're hearing from God less. When yeah. what was really happening was their flesh was so in control of them when they first came to Jesus, whenever Jesus spoke to them, it felt like it was literally out of nowhere. Sure. And so it was so jarring. Yeah. That they were like, oh. But as you grow in sanctification, the your voice, desires will change. Your desires and your own internal voice of conscience right. is becoming more and more similar to the voice of the Spirit to the point where they become in, almost indistinguishable. Right. And you're like, well, God doesn't speak to me anymore. 
No, God spoke to you so much, he formed your inner voice to say the right things. You are growing in having the mind of Christ right. yourself. Yeah. And as you have the mind of Christ, mm-hmm. you're naturally in step with the Spirit, and your right. conscience and the Spirit are one. And so you don't, you can't tell the difference because mm-hmm. the voice of the Spirit doesn't feel any different than another inner voice. Right. Its content is different. But if the content of your inner voice like comes along with the content of the Lord, then they sound similar. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. sometimes you just can't tell the difference. Right. But you don't have to. Right. If it's the force of con- for a sanctified conscience, it's the word of God. Mm-hmm. And if it's the word of God, it's the word of God. Right. right? So, uh, so I, anyway, I don't want yes. somebody to take from this idea that we're supposed to build ourselves up, that I don't believe that we're supposed to deeply rely on God emphasize worshiping God directly or believe that God can do miracles or speak to us or that he does do miracles or speak to mm-hmm. us. God has done miracles in High Point Church. Yes. In the nine years I've been here, people miraculously healed prophetic words that have changed people's lives. Mm-hmm. Right? They are rare though. Right. I mean, I've prayed for 300 people maybe to be healed and I've seen like four healed. Right. And those four are amazing. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the people bear with their infirmities yeah. in the in their faith in Christ. Right. Because healing is a first fruit, right? It's like a tiny bit of the total harvest. Right. And I think healing and prophecy are first fruits. They're there, but they're very small percentages, mm-hmm. right? That's why when people say, well, if you're a Christian, why don't you just, and you believe in healing, just go empty the hospital. That's really not what's happening right now. Right. Right. Jesus, when he returns, is going to empty the graveyard. But right now, healing is a first fruit ministry. It's a yeah. tiny taste that's an example of what's to come. Yeah. Sorry if that felt tangential, but I think mm-hmm. I don't no. want to. My, well, I'm trying to do this podcast to balance people out. Right. The last thing I want to do is to unbalance yes. us the other way. So one of the things that we can draw some conclu- conclusions from specifically this last piece on the body. And one of those is that, that you read is that all of these verses must assume that you're a part of the local church. Yeah. And I see that because I think you, one of the conclusions we draw is that you can't have one without the other. And so you must be a part of a local church because you, the listener, mm-hmm. are necessary for the building up of the church that you are intended to be a part of. Yeah. The, the idea that we can't do this without you is not the sentimental point of the pastor who's trying to raise the money. Yeah. It's literally the word of the apostle right. based on the word of Christ. Every one of your gifts to its full measure is part of a body. And if you are not part of it, you literally need to picture a body with a piece of it cut out. Mm-hmm. Will it survive? Well, the healing properties of the body are pretty amazing, right? It also depends on what part of the body it is. Right. But the literally the body of Christ functions in a way that is in some ways maimed when you don't you aren't part of it. Right. Just like when the body of Christ doesn't listen to Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like a quadriplegic body. Mm-hmm. It, it literally can't move. It can't do anything. Right. But when the church is listening to Jesus, but the people aren't part of the local church and they're not building right. each other up. And they're like, well, well, Jesus builds people up or just the pastor builds people up. No, that's literally the opposite of what this says. It says that in the glory of Christ, through the helping work of the ligaments, mm-hmm. the body in each part and measure right. builds itself up, which right. means the pastor is only a unifying helper 
and how every part of the body builds itself up. The, the mutual edification or the mutual building up into maturity of the local church happens from member to member. Right. I, not uh, pastor to member. We had a conversation about this a couple of weeks ago in our small group that um, for most people in our small group, we had in common that the most life change, the most spiritual growth, the most encouragement that was experienced was not on a Sunday morning, that that helped us, that that nourished us, that that guided the way we interacted with each other. But it was from our interactions in our small group or a small group of friends. But it was that type of interaction that was changing and shaping us in Christ. Right. It's not just an issue that the pastor can't talk to everybody. Right. It really is the fact that you're more prone to take responsibility for your own spiritual life when you're not with the pastor. When uh, like somebody who feels like a colleague is helping you grow in Christ, you're yeah. more, you're personally involved, right? You're using your gifts. They're using their gifts. Right. And the, the pastor can preach in such a way as to set the agenda. They can direct the ship. They can create an ethos or a culture, but it's pretty limited. Yeah. You know, um, the, I think the last thing that we should spend a little bit of time talking about is how you said that this, this passage teaches the importance of leadership. Um, And as I was reading through your notes, I was thinking how, you know, probably different age groups and generations would experience that differently. Mm -hmm. Like some people would hear that, that this, that leaders are important think, well, yes, absolutely. And then others would hear that and think, heck no, like, I don't, I don't want to be under the authority of somebody. Like I remember being a very annoying student and thinking like coming home from school and being proud if I had proven my teacher wrong in a moment when like that's not a healthy or respectful way of viewing authority and so i think it'd be and you've grown so much (laughs) i hope i have (laughs) but yeah i think it'd be good for you to spend a little time talking about that yeah so hopefully i've emphasized sufficiently that the body builds itself up as a whole right yeah but these these leaders um that are referred to um are are important unifying and connecting ligaments and joints within the church. And when that when leadership in a local church is not functioning right, you get the same thing as when leadership anywhere isn't fo- isn't functioning right. It it creates very negative outcomes. Like it it do, the thing doesn't hold together. There's no mm-hmm. unity, there's no maturity. Right. And so if you are part of a local church, you should take your part in how the church brings or sends away or nurtures or helps or supports or follows the leadership very seriously. Right. So, I mean, in our church, we're a congregational church. So we nominate vet and elect our leaders. And so that's a really big deal. Yeah. Um, being really well versed in first Timothy chapter three and Titus chapter one and knowing what an elder is supposed to be first Peter chapter five and uh, Acts chapter 20, those are all like very like important sections about what an elder should be. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing those and understanding those and like sort of demanding good leadership but still supporting good leadership is important. Um, I, I don't know if a lot of people don't know this, but less than 50% of people who become pastors will end their career as pastors, mm. right? Um, a lot of people get into a pastoral ministry that never should have gotten into it. Sure. But a lot of people quit and fall out that could have been great pastors. Mm-hmm. It's a very diff- It's a very difficult job, right? Now, there's a lot of jobs that are difficult jobs. Right. But this is one of them. 
Uh, Mike Beresford said one time that he had some like heart palpitations and he went to the hospital and he was being monitored and he was fine. And so the doctor was like, well, um, you know, you're looking okay. We can let you go home. And he says, that's great because I have to, I really have to get ready for my sermon for Sunday. Right? Hmm. And then the doctor was like, oh, wait, you're not going home. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? He said, because it's pastors and cops that die on me. Wow. Because their hearts are the least healthy because those jobs are the most, some of the most stressful. Right. And so um, I'm not saying that pastoral ministry should be horrifically stressful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the bad way that we do it and internalize things we shouldn't and so on and don't invite the rest of the body into the work. Right. But uh, there was another, I remember when I was getting into ministry, I read a survey that said that 80%, 80, mm -hmm. 80% of pastors' wives wish their husbands did something else. Mm. Right. You start putting that together and you start finding out some of this, it, like something like 40% of pastors have used or regularly used use pornography or have touched or had inappropriate physical contact with someone who isn't their spouse, <laughs> that level of illicit sexual sin right. is not because pastors are more perverted than other people, but because they're more stressed, mm -hmm. right? When people are stressed and burnt out and they feel worthless and they feel lost, they turn to that kind of thing. Right. And, um, and so you get that, mm -hmm. right? So when you understand so at, yeah, at one level, you should demand certain things from your pastor because leadership's important. Right. And on another level, you want to support your leaders as, as well as you possibly can. And right. not only ones you think that are doing fantastic mm -hmm. because there are going to be a bunch of people kind of in the middle that if you really support and encourage them in the right direction, they will do great. Right. And if you don't support, help, and encourage them, they will fail and live up to your bad expectations of them. Mm -hmm. And I think God will hold us somewhat accountable for that. So yeah. finding leaders, raising up leaders, right. supporting leaders. And I think also wanting to encourage people to be leaders if they want to be. Mm -hmm. I don't think you should push everybody who's smart to be a pastor. I mean, there have been ministries that I've argued with them and been like, you keep recruiting Christians who are medical students to become ministers who probably should be doctors. Right. Right. So I'm not saying we should be trying to get all of our best and brightest to be pastors, but when somebody wants to be a missionary or a pastor right. that we don't say, well, you know, it can make a lot more money doing something else. Right. Even if it's your kid, mm -hmm. we should mm -hmm. be like, that's great. Mm -hmm. And then we should make sure that they want to do the work of ministry, not just have the title of ministry or the yeah. respect of ministry, yeah. because you don't get that much respect. Mm hmm. Right. People call you pastor sometimes, but there's a lot of complaining. There's a lot of backbiting. Yeah. Like being a shepherd is not easy. And plus the whole outside world doesn't respect the ministerial vocation mm -hmm. very much right now in America, at least. Right. And so if you get into it because you think you're going to be respected, you're going to be very sorely mistaken. Yeah. But if what they want to do is the work of ministry, mm -hmm. as first Timothy three says, then we need to, we need to encourage them and we need to train them and we need to support them. And we, in some ways we need to protect them as they're growing. Mm -hmm. And that's what our, like our internship programs and our pastoral fellowships are all about. Right. It's helping that happen. Yeah. I think that in the past few years, as I have, I've since working here on the staff team, I've started to see the ways that like the, the responsibility burdens that I don't bear in my role mm -hmm. and that I'm grateful for that. That I, like I, I, uh, 
I used to, I'm, I say I'm recovering maybe from being a control freak. I'm growing a lot and not being like I need to control everything. And one of the things I've noticed is that it's actually been very freeing for me. I've felt less stressed. I have felt less anxiety. Mm-hmm. But but there are other people who do bear those burdens and who are feeling the stress of being responsible for huge budgets and for lots of people and for big buildings and wanting to steward it well and wanting to partner with other churches. And so I have really grown in my awareness of what it is to be a pastor of a church or an elder of a church. And um, as someone who's not that, I think there are ways that we can encourage our pastors and support our pastors. And not just by saying, good job preaching, because there's a difference between being a good communicator and the words that someone's saying actually transforming your life and affecting your life. And so even being intentional in the encouragement that you give or offering to make a meal for somebody or to watch their kids so that they can have a date. I mean, there are lots of ways that you can Mm -hmm. encourage the leaders that isn't just training them in leadership, but supporting them with uh, relational equity. I think that's how you've phrased it before or wealth. I don't think I've said that, but that's, that's makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. And one of the things every, every church member and every person who is part of a church should consider is what is the right kind of loyalty? Mm -hmm. Right. Because a lot of younger people who don't join things haven't thought about that before. Yeah. But loyalty is one of the most fundamental human virtues because we all want to know who's with us. Yeah. Especially if we're going to take any risks or try to live out any courage or attempt anything great. We want to know who's with us. Right. And so if you want your life to be great, you better let the people who could take your world somewhere know you're with them. And yet they also need to know that they shouldn't sin against your loyalty. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so there are a few people at high point, I would say less than 10 people who I have a very strong relationship with. They're very loyal to me. And I steward that very carefully because they're also men and women of high character. And if I, if I didn't steward that loyalty, they yeah. would withdraw it, mm-hmm. but they would only withdraw it for very good reasons. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they would say, don't make me withdraw my loyalty. Yeah. Because I want to support you. Yeah. You know, Um, people like um, Walt Pepler and and Frank Pekovich is like this, where they're very, they know you have to support leaders Mm -hmm. in order for anything to get done. And they give not just their loyalty, but their affection. Mm -hmm. And I feel that fealty is what they used to call it in the Middle Ages, Mm -hmm. right? That fealty, like, they're my knights. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're my knights. But I would never be like, so cover this up for me. Right. <laughs> or I'm going to abuse this. And I feel they, so blessed yeah. that I try to steward that very carefully. And you know that they wouldn't. <laughs> oh, Frank <laughs> would never what, do right. anything wrong. No. <laughs> ever. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, like I feel like if people are attacking me for no good reason, yes. he will be right there. Yeah. I have felt that same sense of loyalty from Frank, actually, coming into this role. Yeah. yeah. Walt Pepler has been like that for me, where he's just like, I'm with you. I'm Mm -hmm. with you. But he's a man of character. Like, if I didn't lead with character, he would withdraw his support. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't withdraw because he doesn't like something I'm doing. Or even if he disagrees with me. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a big difference. With loyalty, you can be with someone even when you disagree with them. Mm -hmm. You only part company when they do something that's 
more like morally it, you would have to choose between them and your conscience. Right. You must be loyal to your conscience. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's a, a deeply loyal person. That's the only situation mm-hmm. in which they will not be at your side. Right. You know, and the people who are in my life that are loyal to me in that way, not blindly loyal, but loyal in that way. I value that so much, right. but it doesn't lead me to be more tyrannical and abusive. Mm-hmm. It leads me to say, I need to be a better leader. I need to be, right. I need to be a more godly man. Yeah. I think that's about all the time we have. So hopefully this was helpful for you, especially if you were listening to the sermon and wanted to hear the rest of it. But even if you got to hear it, hopefully us talking about it a little bit more, maybe made you think about things differently or just chew on those thoughts a little bit more. Yeah. Ephesians 4 is so rich. You can study it a hundred years and you'll get more out of it. So we just have to stop somewhere. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.